Welcome to Ascend and Transcend. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson, and today's guest is the author of Treading Water, Holding Weights. Her name is Melissa Kushnoff. She's a mom of four. She's a yoga and meditation teacher. And we're going to have a discussion today about the competition between mothers and also some of the mom guilt that we feel and how we can overcome it and really get to this place of radical, unapologetic acceptance for ourselves and each other. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to have this conversation around the real and rawness of motherhood. It feels like it's so easy to build up this image of it being somehow flawless and Pinterest worthy. But on the day to day, there are women out there who are having a very different experience being mothers. And I love in your book, Treading Water, Holding Weights, how you really talk about that and how a lot of these triumphs and tribulations can be the things that actually connect women. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. You're so welcome. So tell us uh, a little bit about your journey and how you came to this place where you felt like the calling to write this book and lean into this role of motherhood and then create a business around it. Yeah, well, I'm the mother of four, four children, eight and under. My last three I had within four years, so mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the last, the last like five six years I've just been like swimming through motherhood, sometimes sinking, just trying to stay afloat. And um, I think around the time I had my third child, I hit this point where everything started to feel really hard for me. I felt like I couldn't even figure out how to brush my own teeth, and I had some support around me. I have a great husband who's super supportive, and I have a family that's supportive. But there was something I just, it didn't feel like it was clicking. I saw other mothers around me who looked like they had it all together. And I, I got really critical. And I'm a yoga teacher. I've been teaching yoga and meditation for years. And so I always try to take like the yogic mm-hmm. perspective in what I'm experiencing in life. And I kind of took a step back and looked at the comparison and some of the guilt I was feeling and all of these, this heaviness I was starting to carry around with me. And I looked around at other mothers and I thought, I can't be the only one. Like I looked at Instagram and I thought, everyone has it together there, but this can't be the truth. This can't be what's really happening. And so I started kind of opening up to some of the women in my life and just sharing really openly about motherhood, the joys and the struggles, because there's both, both sides and they're both a part of the journey. And through opening up, I realized I'm not alone. Like this is so universal to motherhood. And I wasn't the only one being critical and hard on myself. Many of us go through this. And um, I think I started to feel really sad that motherhood is this amazing, beautiful thing that generations and generations before us, you know, have have gone through. Yet we kind of, we hush up when we want to talk about the, maybe the darker sides of it. And so I started exploring, I started exploring those sides and talking about those things. So why, I'm interested to get your perspective on why you think there is so much competitiveness in motherhood between mothers. It's something that I have definitely felt. I think we're very quick to judge each other. Um, I remember once when, you know, when I only had one child and she was having a play date with a friend and the mom I was very good friends with, but this child had like 
longer than average fingernails. And I remember totally judging this mom, like, how do you let your kids out of the house (laughs) with unkept fingernails? And then fast forward (laughs) till I have my second child and my kids running around with like bear claws. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. But it's so interesting. I was so quick to judge her. And I think that that can be our initial reaction is to kind of like do an up down look at another mother, you know, whether it's at the park or somebody who's like, their kid is losing their shit and hanging onto the cart at Target, you know, like all of this stuff versus coming from this immediate place of compassion. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Well, first of all, the bear claws and hanging off the Target carts, I feel like you're describing (laughs) me. And I feel feel like the more children I've had, the lower my standards have gotten and the lower my expectations have gotten. And I think that's really, that's really helped me. Um, But I think that this comparison like we all want to feel like we belong and we all want to feel like we're loved. And when you start to bring human beings into the world, it's really easy to look at the things they're doing, what they're saying, how they look, and start to feel like that's a complete reflection of yourself. And I think we put a lot of stress on ourselves to make them these perfect replicas of what we think we need to be. And when we see other mothers around us, it might almost feel a little good to see that not everybody else has it together. And I think that we start to like pick up on where other mothers are falling short in our eyes, you know? Like I think it's really easy to see those yeah. things. And I, I think it's a lot of the comparison, it just drags us down. I mean, there's such an opportunity for mothers to connect and to hold each other up, each other, Mm -hmm. you know, to support each other through these times. But we just turn to that comparison and to kind of drag, drag each other down. And I just, that's something I really want to help women turn around because there's a lot of beauty on the other side of that. You're so right, Melissa. I, I totally agree. And I think there is something to like, you know, once you have the second child, and and this isn't a knock on people who have one child, you know, but for me, shit got real when the second kid showed up because I mean, I don't know how, I I don't know how you do four. My husband and I look at each other and laugh just with our two. And I'm like, people have three, some people have four, some people have five kids. Like how do people do this? Because I don't care what people say. I think it's, it's, compounding work with each child. I I had friends, you know, who have three or four kids and they're like, oh, well, you just have another one, you throw it on the pile. And I'm like, bullshit. Like you have another one and that is a whole (laughs) another job. That's like another full-time job. So you're working like four full-time jobs. Then you've got yourself to care about, which usually gets deprioritized. And then if you have a partner, it's them. And so I think that it would be really great for us to all lovingly check each other. You know, when we hear moms wanting to gossip or judge other moms to just do this gentle reminder that everybody's probably doing the best that they can. And I haven't met a single mother Mm -hmm. who willingly wants to be a bad mom or wants to fall short with their children. It's really just everybody is treading water, right, Melissa? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that we are all trying our best. Like when I see Mothers out in public who look like a hot mess, that's sometimes me. But when I see that in other women, I just remind myself, man, she is doing her best with what she has available 
nobody wants to be doing a horrible job at this, but we are all surrounded by such different circumstances in life. And we're different people. We were raised different ways. We have different levels of support. It's true. Women are all doing the best that they can. And I just think when you take a viewpoint of compassion instead of criticism, mm-hmm. it opens up this entire level and opportunity for connection in motherhood. Yeah. When I see the hot mess mom at Target, I'm like, let's be friends. Um, that Honestly, that's like yes. the person who I <laughs> gravitate to. There really isn't any more judgment. I think if anything now my judgment, if I'm, if I'm being, you know, completely honest with myself, I think it has swung the other way. And when I see the Pinterest mom, you know, or the mom who's like pulling all the weight for like PTA or all of that stuff. Now I've kind of gone to the other side where I'm like, must be nice. You know what I mean? Like she must not have that much to do where she can just dress her kids like they're going to Mm -hmm. church just for a target run, you know? So it's, (laughs) it's so it's so dangerous because the door can swing the other way too of first we judge mothers for not doing it enough, not keeping it high and tight and snapping back after pregnancy and having kids with perfectly manicured nails to then if you do have all of that, then you're doing something wrong as well. Do you know one thing that I always remind myself of is that everybody has their struggles. Yeah, Like everybody is facing something. So even when you're looking at Instagram and you see that mom who's posted a picture with a white couch (laughs) and she's got her sweet little perfectly dressed baby toddler sitting there, you know, reading a book. I guarantee you she's got like a poop stain down the backside of that couch. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it totally is true. Or if you see that mom who is like killing it, she's got all of her kids perfectly dressed at school and everything. She's, you know, running the PTA, all that stuff. I bet there's another part of her life that is like a struggle for her. And maybe that is the part of her life that's a struggle. So I realized like years ago that everybody everybody has their struggle, whether we see it in that moment or not, there's always something, there's always like the dark side. Yeah. And I think that that helps me like be a little more compassionate, whether I see a mom who's got it all together or a mom who looks like she's falling apart. It's right. so true. At any moment, we well, all and have And I think that. a big piece of that, and you alluded to that earlier in the conversation, is you don't know what level of support she has. So the other thing too is like, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are both Midwest girls and now we're, you know, transplants to California. And my whole family is still in the Midwest. So we're kind of like, same. right? Yeah, like we're, we're out here without a net. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, you know, there isn't a mother-in-law to call. There isn't somebody to come help out. You know, we've got a babysitter who we can call randomly, but there's no full-time help. There's really no support system here. So yeah, you know, my kids might not look as polished as others, or my roots might be showing because it it's not <laughs> worth it for me to like pay a babysitter to go to a salon for four hours because I don't have anybody to come right. hang with the kids while I go do that kind of stuff. So I think that that's a really good call out is to just you don't know what level of support they have. You don't know where they are in their journey either. Like maybe they're struggling yeah. with postpartum depression and getting up to go to Target to buy formula in their slippers was a huge achievement. You know, like we just don't mm-hmm. know where they are on the journey. And so I think that this place of like assume good intent, right? Assume compassion and and work from that place when we first encounter each other could be really transformative. Yeah. And I think that compassion goes like inward and outward, but it also has to, we have to have that compassion for ourselves because 
yeah, I live, you know, I live all the way on the West Coast. My all of my family, I have an amazing support system in Wisconsin. <laughs> right. Me too. Mine's in Chicago. They're all there. I love Chicago. And I look at my husband and I'm just like, are are you sure this is what we want to do? You know, we have a we have some great grandmas yeah. back there. But this is where we are, and this is the decision we made. And my older sister gave me really great advice. She has four kids as well. It's kind of becoming a, a thing in our wow. family, I guess. But she told me, she said, you know, if you don't have your family right around you, you have to create those relationships in your life. They might not be blood relatives, but you have to start to create those relationships so you feel like you still have that support and your children are still growing up with other adults who love them and other people around them, you know? So one of my things that I've been really trying to teach my children is the importance of neighbors Mm -hmm. and friends and forming a community, which is something I've worked really, really hard to do in the past, you know, two to three years, especially going through this pandemic when everything feels so isolated. I've put a lot of effort into like keeping those relationships and building and, you know, our neighbors on either side of us don't have children, but I'm the first one to say hello to them, strike up conversations with them, talk to them about things we do have in common because I think it's so important. Oh my God, I totally love that. And we've kind of, we didn't make it like an intention to do that, but we have done that as well. We have a wonderful neighbor um, next to us who was unable to have children and she's incredible. And so now my kids are like, you know, these like surrogate She's almost like, not like a grandma, like an older aunt, but she like makes them quilts and, you know, does all this stuff. And then I was out jogging around my neighborhood of probably three years ago. We've been here four years. And I saw this, um, this elderly man walking with, you know, a a cane and, uh, and an arm in a sling. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go talk to this guy. So of course I jog over and he's like scared at first. And I'm like, hi, I'm Elizabeth. Like I live in this neighborhood. What's your name? (laughs) Yada, yada, yada. Three years later, his name is Joe. His wife is Jano, and they live in our neighborhood, and they both had adult children who died, so they're completely on their own. Mm. And so now, every holiday, we bring Joe and Jano some muffins, or they make Valentine's Day cards. Or, but I, you know, I do. I I couldn't agree more that I think there needs to be a sense of community, and for moms too. Like, who was your emergency contact when you moved here? Because like I didn't have one, and that was terrifying. Yeah. You know, and so mm-hmm. now I've made an effort to like walk up and have the uncomfortable conversations with moms on field trips or at the park because I know that those are my lifelines. I have to make friends here and I need to have somebody as an emergency contact. <laughs> yes. Gosh, I, th- I think I still put my mom back on the farm in Wisconsin. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, just get in touch with her. She'll know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> She's the emergency contact. I think that one of the, things I struggled with a lot, and you've kind of spoke to it, is the isolation that you experience in motherhood. Because we have to really be careful. Motherhood can be super isolating. You have babies who maybe aren't sleeping at night, so you don't have the energy to get out of the house. I've had those days where I'm stuck at home all day long in my pajamas. I can't even brush my teeth. I'm trying to get everyone fed, diapers changed, naps happening. The house is a disaster. I'm not going anywhere. And you have a few days like that and a few more days like that. And that isolation starts to really creep in. And it can be a tough thing. I mean, when you can just get out of the house and connect with people and find other people in your similar circumstance who can understand, I think that there's so much strength you can get from that. I totally agree. Isolation is a tough thing in motherhood, especially in the early days. 
I I laugh with I have a couple other mom friends out here who have four kids. And I feel like I stalked them. Like <laughs> I remember one friend in particular, I noticed right away I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's got four kids. I could see her at school drop off." And I'm like, "We're going to we're going to be friends. We're going to be friends." And slowly I like, yeah. you know, I I introduced myself to her. I talked to her and we've become friends and we're both sinking and swimming through being moms of yeah. four. But I definitely hunt. Oh, I, do too. I, I see moms and I'm like, I think I'm going to be oh, your friend. I don't give them a choice. And I, that was, you know, when I moved to sh- the suburbs of Chicago from Chicago, like city, I did the same thing. Like I found two people, um, they ended up becoming my best friends, but they lived close by. And I said, like, we're going to be friends whether you want to or not, because I need friends out here. And I would literally show up at their door and knock and be like, there was this little wine bar a block away. And I'd be like, yep, we're going out. And they would be like, no. And I'm like, yeah, you're coming. <laughs> I was like, I forced nice. it. and But they were introverts, right? So it was kind of hard for them. Um, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like 10 years later and we're still friends. And so I think that if you're on the fence, like if you are at the swimming pool or at the park or at dance lessons for your kids or gymnastics and you're sitting there and you know it's so much easier to just kind of like, go inside and be on your phone and be antisocial. But if you can even think of it in a way of like, you don't know what that other mom is going through. Maybe she really needs you. You know, even if you don't think Mm -hmm. you need anybody, I think that we kind of owe it to each other to reinforce this community of moms, right. And drag each other out every once in a while. Cause to your point, it can be very easy to just feel isolated and just kind of spiral in that pool of isolation. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard for moms to accept help. We want to, I remember having that feeling of wanting to be super mom or somebody would say, wow, you seem like you have it all together. And that felt good. I was like, I do have it all together. But I was like, no, I don't like, but somehow it felt good that it seemed that way. And I tried to hold that up and that trying to keep that like outward appearance going is completely exhausting. And when you finally step back and accept help. I remember the first time that this dawned on me, I think it was actually before I had children. I was, um, maybe I know I I had one, I had my first and I was um, at the airport. I had like suitcases. We were traveling, just me and him. I had my arms full and I was just trying to get a door open. And I'm like, okay, I can do it. You know, I'm using the leg, I'm doing all these things. And somebody was like, let me help you. I, I can open this door for you. And I almost was like, no, 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 I got it. And then I was like, no, yes, help me, please. Yeah, help me, go ahead. And that is one of my rules. Like when somebody reaches out for help, I try as hard as I can to just say yes, because it's not just for me. It feels good to help people. Like it feels good for that person to say, wow, that mom just needed a hand with the door or to help with her groceries or to make her kid laugh or something Mm -hmm. like that. Let people help. I think just allowing help is a huge step in the right it direction. Is, it, it can be hard to receive that sometimes because you do want to be totally self-reliant. And when you do that, it comes at a cost. And the cost is your self-care, your peace of mind, this attachment to feel like you're still at one with your soul. Like when so much mm-hmm. stuff becomes a demand on your mental bandwidth and you're just trying to like track, I, I, I always tell, I always say that I think mothers are just trackers. Like we're tracking everything. We're tracking the last time somebody had a diaper change. We're tracking the last time somebody had a dentist appointment. You know, we're doing all of this stuff. And 
I have never heard that. And that's, that's so true. That's exactly how I feel. Right. And I don't think men worry about that. And it's not a shot at men, but while women are doing all of this tracking, men are focused on like work, you know, and it's like, what a luxury, Mm -hmm. right. To not have this second shift, this whole other piece of us that is constantly thinking about somebody other than ourselves. And when that happens, it can be really hard to make sure that you socialize. Like in my coaching practice, I one of the um, the non-negotiables is spending time with other females. It's like, you, you have to, you have to be social. And to your point, the last couple of years with the pandemic has just really cut women off. And some of the people that they were friends with have moved away and nobody wants to sit on Zoom. It's no matter what people say, it's not as fun as being there in person, right? right? But maybe you need to force yourself yeah. to do it to keep those connections because it will fill your cup more than when you started. Yeah. yeah. It's so me. That's so true. So I have to ask you because you're a yoga teacher. Um, do you feel yeah. like it's possible for mothers to kind of operate from this place of being in the present moment and peace? Or do you feel like that's something that is kind of this myth that there is like a, a Zen mommy? <laughs> um, I, no, I, I don't think that there is like a full-time Zen mommy out there. I mean, I could be wrong. I would She's love probably to on meet Prozac, her if she is yeah. out there. She could be on Prozac. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, I have have heard people people have said to me like, "Oh, you're you're a chill mom or you're, you know, you stay calm or you're very patient, blah blah blah." I have the other side of the coin 100%. I meditate, I do yoga, I do breath work, and I am also a mean mom at times. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there are both sides there, and I think the practice of yoga how it supports moms is it is like a constant it's a constant practice, a constant re- reminder. It's something you're cultivating within yourself. But there's no, you've never a- arrived. Like it's it's an ongoing journey. Yeah. And I think the ups and the downs are always going to come. That's a part of life and it should be a part of life. There, sh- there still should be the downs because having the downs helps you, first of all, learn how to navigate them. But then it also helps you appreciate the ups. If everything was always chill and calm and peaceful, I don't think you'd appreciate it all yeah. as much. So the ups and downs are important. And I think the practice of yoga and any mindfulness stuff that people are doing, meditation, it's kind of like that support system that's helping you through the journey Mm -hmm. of motherhood. Because I don't think motherhood's ever going to be, I I don't know any moms who always have it nice and calm and together. So I think yoga is something to help you navigate that. So do your kids meditate? I've done some stuff with them before, but- like when I'm on my yoga mat, they'll come join me on my yoga mat. I happen to love restorative oh, yeah. yoga, and I've definitely done restorative yoga with them. I used to do a much more um, vigorous vinyasa practice, and then when I became a mom, I started realizing the need of for like restorative practices within my life, and that's where I really started doing restorative. And my little kids have always loved restorative yoga because you prop them up with some yeah. bolsters and blocks and, you know, put an eye pillow over them and put on some calm music and you'll get them, you know, a few minutes, a few moments sometimes yeah. there. But I don't have like a, a consistent practice I do with them. Um, yeah. It would be fun to do, but I, right now, my big goal has been having a consistent practice yeah. for myself. They're really wiggly. <laughs> um, 
They're super even, wiggly, yeah. But it can be fun, you know, doing breath totally. work with them and even bringing in like bowls and stuff like that, like some of the sound oh, yeah. components. That's all really exciting yeah, for them. Yeah, we got this like little mini steel drum, which is like um, the only kind of drum I was going to let in the house, but it is, it's kind of like a gong. And, you mm-hmm. know, the frequencies of that are supposed to be calming for children. And so we'll do that. They just now have started to lay in bed. I actually just lay in bed to meditate. And um, I've brought them in the last couple of times. And I think, and it's like a guided chakra balancing one. And I think that they like it. You know, um, the little one has done it twice now. And those are 45 minute meditations. And I think- Wow. How old is she? She's six. And I think that she just wants to be next to me. Like they they don't sleep in our beds or anything. So I think that's the only time, but she just wants to be close. And I think- when you're vibrating at a nice high level like that, it is like a magnet. And I think the children feed off that and you can feed off their wonderful energy as well. Um, And I think they're calmer after it. Another thing we love to do with them is ground. So just being barefoot. And we we have the luxury of being Mm -hmm. able to do that here in California, um, which is harder for my friends in the Midwest and the East Coast. But (laughs) I think that that's a really great way to help with some of that, their anxiety, their hyperactivity, and then your anxiety as well. Do you Mm -hmm. do any like essential oils with them or anything like that? What are some other tips to keep them calm? Do you have any in your like mom toolbox? Yeah, I don't, we have essential oils around the house, but I, I kind of just use them when when I want to like, you know, calm things down. I don't really like uh, use them heavily, but I, I do spray them occasionally. But I think some of the main things I've done with them for calming down, like breath work is really powerful. I'm getting more and more into the power of breath work and just helping children understand, like to pay attention to their breath and to be mindful of how it feels. I think that's a really cool technique that you can do with them because like I have taught yoga at at libraries and at the children's museum for some of the events they've had and really helping kids tap into that, like the experience of breathing and just using your arms to like expand and to contract. I think that there is a lot that can be done with helping kids with breath work. Yoga on the mat, of course, I've done that with my kids for years, just downward dogs and helping them with headstands and all the fun stuff. But then also just like getting them into some nice relaxed, relaxing twists. And we've done, we've done quite a bit of yoga. Um, and that's something that I love doing with them because it can be so playful. Totally. Yeah. We've got like a bedtime yoga and it's like got a little spinny on it and, you know, kind of like, um, you know, they can choose the different poses and we do it and that's really good there. I mean, Amazon has so much stuff, right? Like there's so many, They do. there's more tools than ever to introduce kids to meditation and mindfulness and yoga. So, you know, everybody loves to peruse Amazon. So I would say, you know, Go look around and see what you can find because it'll be equally beneficial for you as it is for them. Um, I love yeah. this quote from your book where you say, we're expected to cheerfully build human beings inside our bodies, extrude them from our loins with poise, raise <laughs> them to be responsible humans, and calmly tell them they hurt our feelings when they bite us on the saggy skin where our triceps used to be. Motherhood is real <laughs> and raw, and there's nothing wrong with talking about it. And I absolutely love that. I um, pretty frequently talk to other moms. And when I find out how old their kids are, I'm like, yep, you're in the shit. You're still in the shit. Like you are definitely with four kids and those young ages. And I I think it's okay to be in the shit, but it helps a lot when you've got somebody else who's standing there 
helping you tread that water and stay above it and not judging you and just offering some support, a hug or a forced night out whenever they feel you need it. So thank you for reminding us of that. Melissa, thank you for your wonderful book. Everybody, it's Treading Water, Holding Weights. Tell us about the next book that you have coming out, Melissa. Well, I'm working on a book right now, and it's the eight limbs of yoga in motherhood. It's the yoga of motherhood, but it's exploring the eight limbs of yoga in motherhood. So if you know much about yoga, the the philosophy behind it, the wisdom behind it, a lot of this is what I explore in my podcast as well, but it talks about the the eight limbs of yoga, which include the yamas, the niyamas, asana, which is your physical practice of yoga, pranayama, which is breath work. And, the, and then there's four more getting into more like meditative, introspective practices. And when I went through my yoga teacher training, and I've done a couple of them, and learned more about the eight limbs of yoga and started applying them to my life, I really saw how they were an amazing framework to operate out of. Mm. Like just having this framework of these eight limbs of yoga in my mind and in my daily practices, it really helped me to live a more intentional life. And then when I became a mom, I realized, man, these these apply 110% to motherhood as well. And it was really nice to have a framework to build my philosophy of motherhood off of. Yeah. So self-care and a lot of those like, yeah, meditation and yoga, the physical practice, those are all part of it. But it goes so much deeper, like how we show up in the world, how we, you know, our, our level of honesty to ourselves and to those around us. It goes really, really deep into how we present ourselves in the world and how we treat ourselves. Yeah. And so um, that's kind of what the book is exploring. And a lot of it, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really, really into into the content yeah. right now. So that's great. I think, <laughs> you know, as we wrap the, this episode, we can just you know, summarize and leave it at this is that when we try to cover up all of the things we think are, you know, kind of imperfections or things that you're failing at at motherhood, we're actually covering up all of the beauty and all of the opportunity to really authentically connect with other women. So the next time you want to primp before you go to Target, just know that there's probably somebody awesome cruising the aisles and is going to see you in your hot mess form and is actually going to like that version better. So we don't have to do it all, women. You, The one thing we have to do, though, is make sure that we're pulling each other out of these little caves and this isolation place that you could very easily fall into and make sure that we're showing up for each other. So Thank you for being with us, Melissa. I really appreciate this conversation and no doubt some others are leaving with some new perspective and insights. Good. Thanks for having me. 